Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey guys, welcome to And The Writer Is. I'm your host, Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with The Great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast... Follow us on our socials, find out about special live events, or buy that merch, a.k.a. that hat I always wear. Go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. For a little bit of context, we just wanted you to know that a lot of these were recorded before quarantine. And as we know, a lot has changed in 2020. So again, please stay safe out there and enjoy the new episodes of And The Writer Is. Welcome to And The Writer Is. This is our 100th episode, episode 100. Uh, We've done this show 100 times. Uh, This is our 100th release. And basically, we are going to do a different kind of episode today because... We can. Uh, I'm super excited <laughs> to have uh, my fellow host and guest, uh, Joe London, who Yo. we we started this initially just because we wanted to talk to our friends about what it's like to be a songwriter in uh, in a modern day music industry, and obviously a lot of things have changed even since we started this. So, uh, so many people to think and whatnot. But before we get there, we're gonna do uh, a little Q and A. Toast first. Yeah, let's toast, you man. Just oh. for everyone listening, we are uh, sipping some tequila. Cheers! Uh, oh, there we, we go. We are socially distanced. <sighs> yeah, we had to reach for that one. We are outside somewhere. Oh, that's good. Oh yeah, it's real good. We are we are somewhere uh, uh, outside. And it's over ninety degrees. There are planes that fly overhead every once in a while. So um, yeah, we also have some fans going. So if we, you hear an yeah, oscillating have, fan in the background, exactly. So uh, this is going to be this is clearly our most unprofessional <laughs> um, episode yet. Um, but anyway, yeah. So we're going to we, we do, should just guess where the planes are going every time they fly over. Um, Madagascar. I don't think they're doing uh, <laughs> those flights yet. <laughs> <laughs> Direct flight. You just in. gave up our location. <laughs> yeah. Um, somebody's going to triangulate the sound of that jet. Um, okay, so we did a Q&A. This is actually pretty cool. So our previous guests had an opportunity to send us 
questions for us to answer. So, um, you know, we couldn't do the show without our guests. So it, it's pretty exciting to have this conversation with so many of them at once. Uh, even if you can't hear them asking, this is from their heads. Um, you want to go first? Yeah, so should I ask you? Because I feel like this first question yeah, sure. is like kind of I, I, I detailed haven't, for I you. haven't looked through these, so this is... Or should this, we just kind of like... Should we not go in order and just kind of like scroll through them? Yeah, sure, whatever. But I'll let you go first. <clears throat> okay, let's let's see here. Okay. Uh, let, this go is a good one. Okay. okay. Let's just start with the the homie David Israelite. Mm, yeah. Because he's been a huge part of the podcast. Um, okay, Ross. How has joining the board of NMPA as a songwriter representative informed your perspective about the symbolic relationship between songwriters and music publishers? Ah, yes. A very serious one to start. Very, very serious. Um, just get into it. Yeah. So David Israelite is the, the person who, who is the CEO of the National Music Publishers Association, which essentially represents all publishers, independent, self-published, um, and otherwise. So he, uh, he's the head of the board essentially. And I've been fortunately asked to be the first songwriter representative in its 102 year history, which is amazing. And that's really a direct result to this podcast. So, um, pretty amazing. Uh, me and Liz Rose, by the way, it's not just me. Uh, but what's amazing about publishers and songwriters is that there's, a cliche about both you know a lot of publishers look at some songwriters as um you know that they're they're trying to treat them like a bank and then i think a lot of songwriters think of publishers as a bank and so there's a natural sort of chasm of skepticism on why people are doing this business and what it turns out is that the publisher doesn't make money unless the songwriter makes money so most of the publishers, if not all of the publishers I know personally, are in the interest of trying to help songwriters achieve their goals and to be as successful as possible. So I think what's exciting about being part of the board of NMPA is you're surrounded by the most, some of the most accomplished publishers in the world and in, in a very short history of the music business, some of the most successful of all time. So it's exciting to hear these people essentially standing up only for songwriters because anything in theory that's good for the publisher is good for the songwriters. Well, yeah. For the most part, publishers' incentive is to make songwriters money and successful entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And I'm proud to be on a board of some of the smartest people I've ever met in the music business. And it, you know, it's, it's a, it's a lot of information and these people are savvy and they're fighting for your, you know, for your rights all around the world. This isn't just something where you're collecting on a local radio station. So, yeah. uh, well, I think I speak for, one I think I speak for all the past guests as well as the listeners when, uh, in saying that it, feels great to have you uh, on that board as the first songwriter. You know, you know uh, it, <laughs> a lot of it's listening, which is nice to be in a position where um, you kind of get a lot. Uh, 
four times a year a, a solid state of the union to see what's what's, what's, what's going, going on. on and we can ask questions and we can you know make some decisions on behalf of songwriters so nice. uh, it's, it's an honor to be a part of it so thank you david it's real life for doing more than one episode with us that's that's awesome um Okay, so I'll do. Let's do. Let's do an, uh, uh, a Nashville one. Let's do Luke Laird. Ooh, Luke Laird's Luke? one of the few people that I've texted many times to say in <laughs> this next segment where Luke Laird, he's a, he's a common uh, a thread in this. So, of everyone you've interviewed, who has the most fascinating create? Who has the most fascinating creative process? So that's one. Who would you say? <laughs> uh, the most. Yeah, man, fascinating creative process. I mean, maybe just because it's a new episode, but the Daniel Lenoir, he, I don't know if he really talked too much about his creative process, but I found it fascinating. When Do you remember when he was talking about like all the songs that he had where they spent hours writing the song and then they ended up taking the fucking like, part where they were screwing around at the end? Yeah. That ended up becoming all the big songs. It was like the part where they gave up and they were having fun. I don't know if that's like the most fascinating. Maybe it is. Yeah, I mean that is pretty fascinating. All those songs that came out of that. So maybe, yeah, I maybe think that. it's. I think it's good about just being attentive in this in the studio because you might be surprised what's really the special moment. You know, that's why at the end of a lot of sessions we do those hail mary moments. Yep. Where it's you've you've been struggling for six hours to write a song. You have a half hour left. Mm-hmm. Like, I, and you always yeah. find that it's like the the times when you're actually like laughing and having the most fun. That's yeah. like usually where the gold is. You know, when you're trying to be too serious and like. When you want it too bad, I have I have a, sort count. of like a list of things that I ask in every, you know, session. And one of the, the ASL most, what ASL? What's the ASL? Age, sex, location. Is that your first question? No, but that's really interesting. What is that? Bro? Oh, You've is never that, heard is that, that? Just, no? Is that? Oh, is that just like? <laughs> Were you on AIM back in the day? Oh my God! Yeah, for sure. But, <laughs> I'll say my age, but if I asked that question, that probably would have gotten me in trouble. <laughs> so I didn't ask uh, that. Um, no, but it, like one of them, one of the obvious questions with songs is, is it fun? Yeah. Is it fun to sing? Yeah. Does it feel yeah. good to sing? Is it fun? Um, if And he also, Luke Laird also asked, if And the Writer is turns into uh, a TV show, who <laughs> will need more time and hair and makeup, uh, Ross or Joe? I think that's an easy one. Yeah, it's definitely you. Yeah, because I ain't I ain't on camera. Oh. We're talking. Wow, <laughs> I could be in my PJs every single time. Some some beard trimming. Yeah. Okay, where's this one going? Um, I'm guessing it's going directly to Boise. That's a good guess. That's probably right. That or San Diego. Yeah. All right. No your one turn. will ever know. Your turn. Okay, let me dig deep here. Okay, here's a good here's a here's a good one. This is from uh, Mr. Nick Jonas. Okay, Nick Jonas. Uh, second to me, obviously, <laughs> who was your favorite guest on the show? Wow, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, um, uh, I mean, okay, this is this is probably a safe answer. There there are two. Um, the late Allie Willis, I thought was fascinating, and also Paul Anka. There's something yeah. about interviewing Hall of Famers for me where I recognize that the point of this podcast is to see how current songwriters are surviving. But I feel like you have to know your history. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Ali said something to me when you have these years that are amazing in your discography. It's because of the two, three years prior to that 
of the struggling and writing, that's what got you that year that's amazing. And ever since that interview, I stopped asking as much about the discography and more about what's happening in between yeah. uh, the hits because I think that's amazing. So I loved that lesson. Mm-hmm. And Paul Inca, I mean, the guy... Dude, that, I remember when he left that day from your house, we, our jaws were just at the floor. He was 15 years old when he wrote, you know, put your head on my shoulders. And then he ended up... Do you remember up, the first thing he said when we started talking about that? What did, what did he say? About what the lyric used, uh, was originally? I, I don't remember what he you said. You don't remember? I don't know what he said. Put your... Was it, put your legs on my shoulders? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the guy, the guy's like the real deal. He was the last living Rat Pack guy. He's the... He's, you know, he's the... He broke on the, on the Ed Sullivan show. He was best friends with, you know, Buddy Holly. Wanted, you know, just the stories. Hanging out with, uh, was, didn't he, wasn't there John a story? John Kennedy? Yeah, I was just about yeah. to say, hanging out with If John you Kennedy. guys didn't listen to Paul Inca, I mean, I have, I have a lot of opinions about the current writers, but um, I'm sure that we'll get to some of those later. Yo, so. have you seen the uh, Sinatra documentary? Not yet. Oh my! You should see it. Okay. He, I think he, I think he might give an interview in it. Paul Anka. I think he does. If uh, I, I could be mistaken, but you should watch it. It's really good. All right, my turn. Simon Wilcox <laughs> says, um, also a great episode. Um, but she asks, uh, what musician and lyrical parameters do you apply in your work? Oh, probably. What musical and lyrical parameters do you apply in your work? Are there boundaries? Do you push against them? And is there anywhere you are afraid to go? Hmm. What's your answer to that? Musical and lyrical parameters do you apply in your work? I I don't feel like I apply any. <laughs> really? I don't think so. Oh my god, I feel like I'm the exact opposite of that. Um I mean I know like there's some things like, you know, we talk about song math and stuff. There's like there's some guidelines that I feel like in, in like structural stuff I tend to stick to like you know verse pre-chorus or like some structural stuff but like I don't know if it sounds cool it's cool for me at least like you can always like get wet you could go wacky and then you can always try and reel it back and use those guidelines like reel it reel it in but unless I'm misunderstanding the question I, I feel like I, I don't really try I try and get out of the parameters you know yeah I don't know what do you, what, what do you do I think I like. I think I abide by my philosophies. Yeah. Almost, almost trust my 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 personal rule book more than I trust my instincts. Mm. So even if I stick to the book a little bit. Yeah. Even if I write, knowing, um, even if I write using instincts, I always edit using the math. Yeah. And uh, I trust my own. Uh, I feel like I'm, my batting average continues to go up as I get more disciplined. But Interesting, yeah. I think, I think honoring genres, especially <laughs> in an era where we have no aisles and stores, I yeah. still think honoring genres is a, is a big win. If you're going to write theater to make sure that you have intention, if you're going to write you know, Nashville to make That's sure true. that there's subtext. If you're going to write in, in Atlanta, make sure that there's a certain flow. If you're going to write in, in Scandinavia, you're going to make sure the sounds of the words and the melody is king. If you're yeah. going to r- work in, in LA, it's going to depend on all the different writers you come across. So I do think that you have to honor 
some of it or or, or you're 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 not really playing fair with the listener that's that's true I, I'm curious how you would answer that question specifically lyrically well that's what I'm saying I think lyrically because there's a certain dialect in some of it yeah especially if you have a co-writer that's you know it's like if I'm writing with someone in Nashville it feels wrong for me to suggest talking about kicking kicking up dirt yeah yeah, yeah. you know um but I think math-wise, it's like understanding that lyric is king there. Yeah, and, and figuring out what, yeah, what the boundaries are for Nashville. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's studying the different genres enough to know where you can go. And, you know, and, and to me, again, like, I, I'm more concerned about the, the seed, the, like, the actual composition, and less concerned about the music landscape. Totally, totally. This is going to take forever, but... <laughs> well, we don't have to do all guys. of them. <laughs> Hell no, we're doing all of them. We're sticking around. <laughs> we have to fill these tequila yeah. glasses up. Yeah, exactly. Okay, your turn. Oh, shit. Okay. Let's see here. Um, okay, here's a good one. Uh-huh. Uh, from Ryan Tedder. Ah, I like that guy. We should also, when we say these, we should talk about what we remember from doing the interview. Because okay. well, I have a funny memory from his where we were in his studio... And he was taking us through his studio and showing us all the, like, crazy old, like, historic shit that he collects. Yeah. He had, like, some signed Civil War document or something. I can't even remember what it was. He has real documents signed by Lincoln and uh, multiple presidents, you know, secretaries of war. I believe he has a Napoleon signature signed document. Um, but also George Harrison's original "While My Guitar Gently Weeps" lyrics and stuff. Like no that. way, he's got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? I mean, he's you know he's a he's a true he's if, a collector. If, if he wasn't a songwriter, he'd be a historian. So wow. Well, this yeah. this goes perfect into his question. Mm-hmm. Uh, when do you think you will be done writing songs? Um, are there other creative things you want to explore outside of songwriting, like collecting dope shit? Huh. Um. I don't know. I want to think that, you know, I know of a couple of people in the business that just quit and just eventually stopped. But I think you evolve. Mm-hmm. I think some of your focus changes. Maybe I don't write with, you know, I'm, I don't know. I'm happy I have I have 10 writers signed to Unknown Music Publishing who go out there and write with a lot of younger artists that... It might not be appropriate for someone like me to write with a younger, like a super young artist that's um, all all the time. So I find that to be creative. But outside of music, uh, I mean, I don't don't know what I would do. I feel like I'm mostly qualified to do some form of... I I think I could still be an author of sorts. Yeah. Well, I mean, the music industry, I, I mean like the musicals and stuff is still in the music industry but like outside of songwriting that's a little bit of a departure right because you you kind of almost did that a little bit yeah with Ron, but, man. but yeah and, and and i'm i'm sure we'll get there but i think that's like for me i would i wouldn't mind writing more what would you write more. like a book or like a tv show or something i don't think i'd write a tv show i think i'm more into you know every time I write a, a synopsis that could be a, a musical. I really write short stories. You like know? a romantic novel? <laughs> I don't think I can... <laughs> I, I, I definitely have attempted... I, I think my longest 
story is 80-something pages, so I'm not too far away from finishing a, a, a novel of sorts, but uh, I would have to get get to a point where I just get so sick of the grind of yeah. Of, yeah. of songwriting. But right now... But I, I when you write your novel, much. are you going to um, go somewhere and write it? <laughs> where would you go? Yeah, I mean... The, you always think you'd be in some cabin in the woods, know, right? Thing, right? <laughs> Why? What would you do if you weren't writing? Uh, oh shit, that's a good question. Um, what would I do? I mean, it wasn't mine. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying that to Ryan, not to yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know. Maybe something with film. I like I like messing with cameras and stuff. I'm not I sure, do. Though. I do think that there's like I don't know. How old is it when it's inappropriate to still write pop songs? Fifty? I don't think ever. Sixty? Like you in, Nash- in Nashville, you can write forever. Yeah, because the subject matter can be a little more mature. But I can't write about going out and meeting meeting some girl when I'm sixty. No, but you <laughs> could write a you know, you could write like a you could write like a more of a timeless pop song like a like a Maroon Five mem- Memories or something. Yeah, you know that's like an emotion that you can kind of write whenever. Who's the dude who has like had a hit in every decade that we've wanted to get on the podcast? Oh, I'm I mean, blanking on his name. I know. We had Babyface. We had, like, who we had? or No, no, had? someone we, we want to get. I forget his name. He's had, like, a hit in, like, every decade since he's been around. Oh, I'm blanking know. on his I name. I mean, we, we also had, uh, um, uh, I feel like we've had a couple. I mean, Desmond of, Child's Desmond had. Desmond Child. Yeah, had, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Okay, so my turn. Um, okay. Emily Warren. Do you believe artists who don't write on songs are entitled to publishing? If yes, Why? If no, how do we stop it from happening? Two, is there a common thread in people's creativity? Uh, Wait, should we do these one at a time? Yeah, so let's do the first one. So do you believe songwriters who don't write on songs are entitled to publishing? If yes, why? And if no, how do we stop it from happening? That's a tough tough one. I don't know. The answer is no. Okay, thank you. And every single artist (laughs) who who asks for publishing and thinks, well, I'm the one who's out there promoting it, yeah. If you're listening to this, I want you to answer why we don't get any of your merchandise, why we don't get any points on your records, why we don't get uh, any part of your tour when you perform our songs. Yeah, that's a big one, especially. If you're going to take our publishing, then expect us then to give start us, give coming, up else, coming yeah. for some of what's yours. And And I know that there are a lot of people who feel plausible deniability because their managers ask for it. Yeah. But your managers represent you. Your lawyers represent you. Uh, okay, here's a, here's a question for you. Do you it. think a lot of times they ask for publishing just to get their name on the writing credit? Yeah, oh, totally. But that doesn't mean that they wrote the song. And, and if they didn't write the song and they want anything... Um, yeah. Then they should be paying for it. You want to point? You want to point one percent of the song? Yeah, yeah to you, give them their name on it. You want you want to have your name on the song? Then you pay for it. You give us a point on the record. Oh, there you, you go. Give oh, us, yeah, you give up stuff. You to give get us. Your name on the- yeah, if if that's the case. But in reality, just leave us alone, and we'll leave you alone. Do you think? Here's a here's a question for you. Do you mm-hmm. think because of all the COVID stuff? Artists' revenues are probably down significantly with touring. Are they going to be coming in way more hot the next two years for publishing? I mean, I know of a few artists that are coming in hotter now than they ever have. But also, here's one of the dumbest things you can do as an artist is that when you're done with your hot streak, and let's be honest, like at the end of their careers, we can name a lot of pop stars in, you know, right now that are not in their prime. Mm-hmm who don't really sell enough units or get radio play, 
you know, um, I, I just get the feeling that the artists now that think that they can ask for it, it's going to be really hard when they ask for the song in three album cycles from now and they're not the hottest artist yeah. and they want that song. And what do we say to them when they came after our song and they asked for 20% of the song they didn't write? So, yeah, um, true. You know, and look, leave the bridge. If you're a writer and you don't care about it, leave the bridge open. Let them write on it. Yeah. Leave the then then that they well, earn all, their five percent. Yeah. There's also something to be said about getting getting some lyrics that the artist you know getting some of their perspective lyrically into the song anyway, like a second verse or a bridge. But or then something. they're writers. Yeah, that's true. And some yeah. some artists, I think the I think probably the question was directed at like artists who aren't writers at all. Who asked for publishing, right? Right. I think that's the assumption. But, you know, that's what we've, you know, I've talked to Emily a couple times in the last couple weeks, and we've Mm -hmm. we've discussed this also. So this is a a relevant question. Yeah. But um, here's a good question real quick, off topic again. But say, okay, right now you have a song, Uh and it could be cut by Rihanna, Uh or it could be cut by, uh, let me think here, who's like... Who's like an up and coming girl artist? Um, like, I mean, like Camilla. Young... Okay, is there anyone like a like right before Camilla, who's like on their way up? Uh, I don't even know. Who would we go? With? Yeah, I don't know. I can't think. Okay, we'll we'll go with Camilla. Okay. Rihanna or Camilla? Who would you, who would you give the song to right now? Currently? Yeah. I mean, probably Camilla. You really? Yeah. Oh, that's. I mean, that's interesting. Well, that's just, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I guess here's the thing: is like they. There's a ceiling with a younger artist. Mm-hmm. We know the ceiling of Rihanna. Yeah, but we and don't. And it's we huge. Have, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's huge. It's really high. And the reason why you go with an established artist like Rihanna is because the floor is really high. Yeah. You know, like you go with the, the classics because their floor is high, not because their ceiling's high. You go with a new artist because the floor is low, but the ceiling's almost, you know, is ginormous. Dropping knowledge. Ross Golan. All right. So, your okay. turn. Uh, wait, should we continue down the Emily's or should we... Uh... Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we Let's end up one, address, two... addressing this elsewhere, but I love, I love Emily. Like, do one more Emily question. Yeah, and she's also been, you know, multiple, multiple time guest Emily Warren. Yeah. Um, she said, is there a common thread in people's creativity, a, a common source of inspiration? I would say no. Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah, people get it's it from all over the place. I think. I think that that's when it's best is when they get it from all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I just want to read this last one. Oh, did you? Oh, she had more. Oh, I didn't see yeah, that. Yeah, she had four. Oh. Okay, this is a good one. Uh-huh. Uh, what has been the most rewarding part of doing the podcast? What positive things um, have come out of it? I think it's you know we don't have a union, so it's uh, and I know that we get into that later. Somebody else asked something about that, but. Um, uh, I think the idea that we're a community and that we can protect each other, you know, uh-huh. that I think it's important that we know that, look, let's just say, here's one way to stop it, the artist asking for publishing, not to go back to that. But let's say every time an artist asked for publishing, we as a group decided we would post this artist asked for publishing, but they didn't, they didn't write on it. Let's say every time a manager berated us or a label berated us because mm-hmm. we didn't give up any of our publishing. What if we as a as a group decided, you know what, we're going to post this? Yeah, like Kanye? Like, Have you been like following Ka- that? Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, it holds people accountable. Yeah. Yo, we need Kanye in the podcast. <laughs> yeah. 
What do you think about all that? Have you been following that? I have. What, I, like, what do you think is going to come out of that? Very little. Yeah, you think so? Like he, he, what was, he posted all the contracts. you see that? Yeah, he posted his record contracts and maybe his publishing too. I think all of them, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, every, every record deal and every, con- and every publishing deal is different. That's going to shake something up though, I right? Think, I think the thing with, the, you know, being on the board of NMPA, I will say this, like, that record label and that publisher invests in you early on, in theory. Yeah. I'm not talking about the really established ones who have the representation and who've gone through it a couple times. But if you find a writer who's 18 years old or 40 years old and has never had a cut before, and you're going to put your name on the line and yeah. do your best to break them, that's got to be worth something. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not saying that all parts of all deals make sense. Like how there's less breakage which is a part of a record contract that still deducts 10% for manufactured goods that could break in shipping. Like, we do not need that. Like, there are certain things in contracts that you can immediately strike down, and if you don't have an attorney who's doing it, 10% of your, you know, what you could actually make, uh, you know, goes away in thin air. So, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, though. I feel like most publishing deals these days are a lot more fair than they've been in the past. Is that, am I wrong in saying that? I, I don't know. I mean, yes and no. I mean, I think people are wise to know that they have the, you know, that, you know, that, that person who says to you, like, you'll be driving a Ferrari in, by next year or whatever, you know, that kind oh, of well, A&R guy, like that sle- well, the sleazy guy. Yeah. You know, like, I think... I think those guys struggle more now because we know who the assholes are. A little more are. transparent, yeah. But I don't know if that's a con- contractual thing or if that's a personnel thing. I feel sure, like sure. maybe the personnel is held accountable more now than yeah. it used to be. Well, I think that, uh, coming back to the question, I think that actually has been part of the positive stuff of this podcast. Like, you know, people being a little bit more aware of stuff like that. And like, thing, I think you've said a bunch that I think rings true is like the. Um, the like, what's the saying you have about know how you're getting screwed? What's that? Oh, you yeah. You said it a few times. That I used to think that I, that I would, by having a degree in music industry, I used to think it was going to teach me how not to get screwed, but instead it just taught me how I'm getting screwed. Yeah, and that, yeah. I think that's a very valuable uh, little tidbit on that young writers can take moving forward. Yeah. You got to know that stuff. Yeah. Okay. All right, your turn. Okay. Uh, okay, this is Faraz from John Bellion. Oh, I like that guy. Having a massive run. Dude. My goodness. What a legend. You hear the Bieber song? Just came out today? Holy. Oh, is he on that too? Yeah. Oh, man. She's crushing. Just, he, had, he has that, he has the Miley song and the Maroon 5 song. <laughs> Epic, dude. Oh, crazy. Beast. Um, okay. John says, uh, John wants to know how Ross became such a stud hmm. in Broadway and the songwriter game. He wants uh, to learn his ways. I don't know if that's a question. I guess that's a question. How did you sure. become such a stud in Broadway and songwriter game? <laughs> well, thank you, John. Um, we also had the Pentatonic song together that just came out. So oh, we have that hey. thing, So that's fun. Um, uh, so, you know, the, all, all I have to say is that the, the, best, the best thing a songwriter can have is, is infinite patience. Things just take a long time. And, um, 
you know, a lot of people right now just rush to get things out, and I don't think that makes for better music. Um, I think just, and, and also just being willing to just make um, make edits. And I really think that even if edits are career-wise or music-wise or lyric-wise or melody-wise, whatever it is, it's just acknowledging that you can get better and to understand that um, that the destination is is more fun than than wherever you think you're going. Or I mean, sorry, the the journey is more is more exciting than than the, the destination. destination. Yeah, the, the destination is never all that exciting, but. You can just create musicals, and you mm-hmm. can create songs. Yeah. And I promise you, the day that you walk away from your that that session, that you're like, oh my god, that song was awesome, and you're leaving the studio, and you you play that song five hundred times on the way home. Like that's all. I I can't tell you. People won't believe it, but that's more exciting or as exciting as when your song's number one at radio. You know, and you can create that first one. You can't count on the second one, but the first one you can actually create. So I feel like just keep your head down, and if you want to write musicals, write a musical, and then yeah, follow uh, the inspiration. Yeah, and make it make it real. Make it the best you can. Make it as you know, be some put out music you're proud of. Yeah, I, actually, this leads really good. I'm going to do one more because okay. it leads really good into this next question okay. uh, from Julian Benetta, uh-huh. good friend. Yeah. of the podcast Love and the friend guy. in general. Yeah. Um, if you had to choose what one common thread is between all the guests you've had on the show, what would mm. it be? And uh, wait, and you can't say the love... Okay, this says and you can't say the love of music or some general bullshit answer like that <laughs> with a smiley <laughs> face. That's fantastic. Uh, but I think it is what you were just talking about. I think most people that we've had on the podcast would say that the journey is more uh, fun and more... Uh, they're just more interested in that than the destination. It's like the part when you're writing the song is more interesting than when the song gets cut. Right? I feel like that would be a pretty common thread. Yeah, I love that. I I definitely think that, you know, uh, that and that, um, there's no such thing as a genuinely, no matter how big the ego may seem, um... Almost every songwriter I know is is a ball of insecurity. One hundred percent. And then they all they all share the same love language, you know. Every single I don't know if we've discussed that in any podcast, but like every one of them just needs words of affirmation. <laughs> and I think what maybe makes the podcast work is that at least for the intro and the outro, <laughs> they they get they they should be reassured that at least somebody in the industry recognizes them for their efforts because yeah. Uh, well, it is a yeah. pretty secluded job, right? I mean, you're kind of in a room all day by yourself or with a couple other people. It's and weird so- that producers, I always think this is weird, that producers don't work with other producers primarily, so they don't know how other producers act. Yep. And top liners don't know how other top liners work, so they don't know how other top liners act. Um, so it's really interesting when somebody, you don't know, even if you're in the industry for 20 years, you're still working with a limited amount of people who are the same type of profession. Which is so funny. It's so it's really, yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, I would imagine all the producers would have a certain thing and all the songwriters. I think all the songwriters wish that they were, um, the pure songwriters wish that they got some, um, 
some part of the the production for their efforts often in like vocal arrangements and sure. vocal producing and that they feel like their contribution is be is is certainly in pop music is not appreciated as much as it probably should be the way it is in Nashville the way it is in in New York songwriters and pure songwriters not producers in in LA are not appreciated at the level that I think they feel like they it, should isn't it funny how some projects like have a vocal production budget huh. for some artists and some don't I didn't realize that. Like, so, I mean, yeah, of course so, they do. If but. you bring in a vocal producer, like they get paid, and sometimes maybe even get points. I don't actually. I'm not sure about that, but, um, but yeah, I've had I've had I've had songs cut with artists where we bring in a vocal producer to like produce the vocal. Huh. And there's a lot of songwriters who can do that. Well, yeah, and and if you're sitting there in a session, and I know I'm I'm gonna write in a lot of sessions, all the harmonies, like some mm-hmm. counter melodies, like the whole, all the parts that then the artist goes and cuts. I mean, how much different is that than, you know, somebody who gets production for, for redoing the drums? For doing the guitars or drums and stuff, yeah. Like, why are drums worth more? Because drums is what makes it modern. Yeah. yeah. But, but, you know... I forget. Maybe it was Ricky but who told it? me this, but someone's told me like your 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 record's only as modern as your drum sounds. <laughs> why would I? Why would somebody who just does production get paid as a songwriter if they're not contributing? Yeah. to any of the lyrics or melodies. Yeah, because I think there was like a, a time we talked about the Jody that. thing. Or you guys talked about it uh, where there was like a moment where the publishing split to be not just the song; it, it split to be like half track, half song there's like a moment where that happened you know it still is that and certainly in you know in atlanta and then yeah you know in in hip-hop it's it's still very and in in the dj world it's often really split 50 50 yeah um yeah because in nashville it ain't like that at least not yet nashville it's not like that right it might be headed that way but no, and it, and you know it's not that in pop, it's not that in you know it's but it is in certain segments. It's and even crazier in a way like musical theater is super compartmentalized. Uh, yeah, know. probably even more than like more so than, than any of them yeah, yeah. and the other things. Like everyone gets is you have a title and you stick to your job. But it's tough because what is like what is the perfect scenario? With, with that I mean, kind of stuff, I, you know? like as a, I, I want to say as an advocate that I'm proud that we're part of a generation that credits the guy who does do 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 one hundred percent. You know, that, you watch, you see, like what was the documentary where all those like all those best licks and stuff? Those guys got yeah, nothing. None, none of them got got publishing. So I, I appreciate that. On yeah. the other hand, then why isn't it that we we don't get production on return when when what I bring to the master recording is often yeah. the you know my voice is in it my yeah. cl- my claps are in it my maybe my guitar piano are in it and then it's like well but i'm somehow you know designated as a instrumentalist and a top liner and and as a and as split as a songwriter I, I don't know why that is i feel like it should be equity on both sides yeah i feel that no i if, feel that if it's going to be you know if we're really being all fair, it's almost and, like there should be a production you know. fee and like a master fee. Yeah, do you maybe. know what I'm saying? Sure. Like, I, if those almost kind of have become two separate things. Yeah, we'll get into that. Too, yeah, yeah I'm think. sure. Okay. All right. 
Lindy Robbins. She's great. Lindy. I miss Lindy. I haven't seen Lindy I miss her, too. Has anything a guest writer said about their process affected you in one of your sessions to where you approached or wrote something differently? Great question. Oh, shit. Hmm. I got to think on that one for a minute. Anything coming to your head? Um... I would imagine that, I mean, even what you just said about the the drums, uh-huh. you know, it's, I'm really in this yacht rock phase. <laughs> I feel you on that. And so, um, what makes that era great are those drum sounds. But you use those drum Some sounds and drum you, sound sounds. Like, you sound like that era. So it's like, how do you modernize that kind of thing? Um, but that's like, you know... I, I feel like I've learned so much from all these different writers. I almost want to go through each, but um, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. That's a really good one. Yeah. I, I, fuck, I feel like I'm going to come back to the Daniel Lenoir thing about just having fun. Yeah. That is like something, or, or like doing a Hail Mary or, or just like wherever, wherever like the fun starts, like pay more attention to that. Like you'd be writing a song and you go into this little weird thing that like isn't anything, but you're having fun doing it. Like pay a little more attention to that for just a moment and see if it goes anywhere, you know? I also That's think it's interesting thing. that when, when um, Dan Wilson, I asked him all these questions about, because I always thought of his songs as like mathematical in a way. Mm-hmm. And being, well, that's really cool. You chose to do that, and then you chose to do this, and then whatever. And he's like, oh, I, I didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> and, I, and I think that that's interesting that some people inherently, maybe it's because of the way they've listened to music or just they, they just get it better than other people. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's interesting how some people are really cerebral about it. Um, some people are just, you know, are natural at it. Yeah, that's a good point, though. Like, what you listened to growing up. Like, if you're listening to Beatles, like, early Beatles, super arranged, very mathematical oh, yeah. songs, like, it might just be then what you know. But it's not, you know, when the Beatles are, it's it's just classical music. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean. Do you know what I mean? It's really classical music. It's, it's kind not, of informed all of it, it yeah. It's, it's understanding music theory. It's not pop music. It's classical I just love music. the Beatles, man, okay? Oh, it's just the best. <laughs> I just told someone yesterday, I was like, you know, they were like, what should I listen to? I said, well, first you have to listen to all of the Beatles. Yeah, have you? Me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I'm, I'm a gen, you know, half a generation away from the Beatles versus some, somebody who's, you yeah, know, somebody yeah. who's 20 now may not, you know, the Beatles are 40 years ago. Did you listen to music? That'd be like me listening to music, you know, only Duke Ellington. And oh, that's what modern. I play at my house. Duke Ellington? Did I put on a Duke oh, Ellington so Spotify shuffle? But even that arrangement, relax. it's still, it's still, you know, chorus. It, everyone who thinks starting with the chorus is something new, it's like yeah. Beethoven's Fifth started with the chorus. All that music from 1750. Dude, fucking drop it on like, from the start, baby. Did they all start? They you start with dun 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 dun, and you know the name of the song. You go with like the, the most OG. You know, you go to Duke Ellington, and it's like you. Say the A train, and it goes straight to hook right off the top. It's like hooks off the top is not new. This is not something that's just starting now. We just 
we got patient when we got you know during the during the a lot of the 60s 70s and 80s but <laughs> 90s even we're we're back in the we're back in the thick of it do you think you'll ever just for a whole year you only write songs that the co- start with the chorus yeah it's called 2020 that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, great okay uh, am i up yeah okay let's see here let me be a little more strategic in what question i ask here let me read a couple Ooh, should we have to do a COVID one? Yeah, let's do it. This is from Tim, Tim Pegnata. Pegnata. Yeah. yeah. Botched his name. Um, who was an awesome guest. Do you, do you remember doing his uh, interview? Yeah. He got the shit end of the stick because he came in. He came in right. We did two in one day. We did. Um, uh, why am I blanking on his name? I don't remember which one we did first. We did uh, the one we just talked about. So oh, about- we did the Paul Anka one. Oh, yeah. yeah. We did Paul Anka. Oh, and then, and then Tim And came we were in. floored after yeah. his interview. And Tim came in, and, and he could tell on our faces that we had, like... I mean, like, you come in right after, like, literally one of the greatest songwriters in history. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> it's like, it's got to be tough. But I will say, Tim Tim showed up prepared, literally oh, yes. prepared. He had notes, and he was Good. ready to go. That guy was not going to forget a thing. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, legend. Um, okay, here we go. Tim's question is, the COVID era has brought many challenges to creatives in our field. Room chemistry is such an important aspect of music collaboration for artists and writers and producers. Uh, the spontaneity of sharing an instrument and melodies in the same room is magic. Do you have any advice or tips to recreate a bit of this experience for the artist uh, in a Zoom kind of setting? Asking for a friend. <laughs> Tim Pegnata. <laughs> Vibe consultant. Vibe consultant. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I could hang out with that guy forever. Dude, he's the nicest he really dude is. ever. Um, personally, I love the the Zoom thing as long as you show up prepared. Like, I wake up, and before I check my phone, don't sleep with the phone in your room. That's my first thing oh, in the rule number era. one. You know, don't get, don't try to avoid getting sucked into your phone all day, every day. And the first time I pick up my phone is when I have a song idea. melody or lyric and i try to make that the thing in the morning that's a good little trick even if i'm making coffee think of ideas maybe you won't you'll think of like a story you'll think of something and the minute you think of something oh that's actually that's actually pretty good i'm gonna i'm gonna write that down and don't just write down titles anymore yeah, you write down like what the bigger thought is. Yes, yeah, write I've, the title and then write the four line. It doesn't have to fully rhyme yet. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. have to have all the math in it. It doesn't have to be all you know because perfect. But write a, out the idea in a session when you te- when you say a title, it, it really does nothing unless it's like the coolest fucking word you've ever heard. But when you just drop like a one title line, it doesn't really do much for anyone. You ha- kind of have to have you have to have at least a line or two or like the thought. Or the concept, right? Yeah, I don't know if any of you do masterclass, but Love like masterclass. the masterclass, so good. oh my god! But wa- I watch all you the see the Hans Zimmer one. I don't really watch any of the music ones. Oh, Hans Zimmer was dope. I will watch that next, but I, I do watch um, all the authors and and the poetry and the short stories and all that stuff because I find a lot of that to be applicable. And what we do is to respect the story. Um, but I end up watching that a lot in the morning too, and like you just listen to re- just listen. Does that get you inspired? It's like watching TED talks. Like yeah, listen yeah. to them and listen to really smart people who are brilliant in their field, and they'll say something that's either inspiring or heart wrenching or something that will. I guarantee you, even if you watch, you know, 
an hour of these things, you'll have one title out of it. Yep. But just don't don't grab your phone and start looking through Instagram and expect to be emotionally affected by it. Yeah. Other than really depressed. Um, <laughs> I've a, yeah, exactly. Oh God, Instagram. But I don't know. But, but yeah, show, show up prepared for your Zoom sessions, musically or lyrically. Show up, and and then the vibe is totally different when everyone's like, "That's a cool song idea." Yeah, you almost have to show up with like an idea. You can't you can't really do the like, let's vibe in the room, talk for a little bit, and see. I mean, you kind of have to bring a little bit of a seed. Unless you want to be on a Zoom call for fucking eight hours, which nobody really wants to do. Um, but this actually made me think of one other thing real quick. Is there anything that you do to in, like get yourself inspired quickly? Um, I think pressure. I think like pressure if inspires I, you. Oh my god! <laughs> but if like, you tell me right you, now that I have a session yourself. in five minutes, I will. I'll figure out and I, something to write a song about because I get really scared. <laughs> Yeah, that so I'll fear. Up. I get so scared <laughs> that I'll get that I'll come up with nothing. Fear is your number one inspiration, uh-huh. dude. Yeah, <laughs> but like, is there any, like is there anything like just for instance, like if I'm feeling uninspired, if I watch like half an hour of like the Beatles anthology videos, I, I'm like immediately inspired to do something. You know what's great? What we've been doing is watching watch really old movies. Oh, like like some like Casablanca or something. Sure. Casablanca is, first of all, Casablanca is really funny. So good. And, you know, you you pick up on all these lines that you know. Play it again, Sam. All these yeah. things that are, like, classic. Um, he, you know, he was looking at you, kid. And all these these things that are, are classic, classic lines. lines. Mm-hmm. And if you watch old movies, one is you're not playing the game of have you seen the latest thing that just got dropped on Prime or Netflix or HBO Max or whatever You're watching classics. So watch like classics, even if the classics are Breakfast Club in the 80s or or it's something from whatever it is, like, you know, go watch something that doesn't make you think about right now. Interesting. And it it pulls you out of... Does it make you write more timeless shit? Well, I mean, this is going to be, you know, what there are a couple expressions about, you know, time in the music business, but I think, you know, the idea that, um, you know, as long as there are teenage girls, there will be boy bands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, totally. the, and, and that, and that, uh, um, the only thing that you should write about is a new way of saying I love you. Sure. So if you watch, you watch, you know, uh, a Shakespeare play. Or you watch Casablanca, and I promise you, you'll pick up on some themes in it that feel relevant, but might be said in a way that that your peers aren't speaking because your peers are all speaking the same language, sure. and they're Everyone's all kind pitch- of caught up in the modern. They're all pitching the exact same song. So go that's, pitch something that's far left. That's very interesting. That might help. Uh, Skylar Gray says. What do you have more fun doing, writing songs or podcasting? Oh, come on, Skylar. Skylar. Skylar, shout out from uh, my home but, state. Yeah, Wisconsin. I mean, so, I mean, it's, I'm a songwriter. I yeah. love. I think that what's crazy about podcasting is you're sitting across from somebody who's to get to the level that these songwriters are at. They've gone through all of the life things. Yes. But the reason why we all got into this, including the guests that we have, is because the one way we know how to communicate our real 
selves is through writing songs. Yeah. So if I don't write songs, I'm depressed. I need to write songs. But I love the podcasting because I get to sit across from... Like who, why why are why are these people sitting across from me? <laughs> like, yeah, I, tell, it's I can't like figure out why any of these people are enjoying this hour as much as I am. Yeah, writing <laughs> songs is like needed. Uh, the podcast has been just like fun. So maybe maybe the maybe the answer to her question is that podcasting maybe it's not more fun, but it, it is like kind of just been a fun thing to sit and talk to people about why we have to write songs, why we all have to do this thing that that we found ourselves doing. Okay. Mike Karen says, having met all of the writers, who is the most unlikely songwriting star? I mean, I feel like that has to be, uh, Laurie McKenna, right? Uh, yeah, that's a good one. uh, Well, I got one other one too, which is Barry Dean. But we haven't had him on. We haven't had Barry on? No. Wait, I thought we did his. No, but we should. I love that guy. I oh, mean, I'm just, think, I'm just thinking amazing. of his story. Yeah. Same, same, same kind of story. How like, have we not had Barry on? He's got the craziest uh, music story of all know. time. We'll text him after this, and we'll get Luke Laird involved. But, <laughs> but I mean, no question. Like Lori McKenna's story, who we just did. I think that was last week, uh, or yeah, two weeks ago, whatever uh, it is. Last weekend. But um, I, I like I, immediately just because how many people break in at that point in their lives they have they've had crazy, whatever three four kids and you're not even in a major city and just somebody passes your demo on and you end up recording <laughs> then Faith Hill cuts the basically recuts the entire album and all of a sudden she's she's the first woman ACM songwriter of the year it's like wild what? wild <laughs> that that story is just bananas but. Mike asked a few questions, so let's just keep going through. What was the decision a writer made that was most shocking to you? I'm always. Uh, what does oh, that mean? Ego. No, I'm just curious. I'm. I'm not sure what that. I guess. Is. I guess. A decision about what? I'm always surprised that songwriters still feel the urge to be artists. Oh, interesting. Okay. Me, me, Why? Like I release something too. Because it's. Um, I didn't understand this till I released music last year, mm-hmm. how vulnerable it really is. Um, it's vulnerable. It was vulnerable when we first started doing the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, and then we realized, oh, no, this wasn't just for 200 people, which we thought it was going to be. Yeah, yeah. And then if we're that. like, oh, no, now we're having arena-sized amount of people listening every week. That, 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 really, like, uh, that was really hard to, to deal with initially, being like, oh, now I have to be careful. Sure. You know, or do do I have to be careful better yet? But I'm always surprised when, when songwriters are determined to... Kind of have their voice heard. To have their voice heard. Yeah. You know? I don't know. What does that question mean to you? Yeah, I wasn't sure if he, was, if he meant something like that or if he meant, like, a decision in the room, like, about writing a song. You know, like, uh, like let's put the chorus first. Or, I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I was confused. He has a few questions. So let's just keep going. He said, yeah. now, uh, now that you're a master question asker, <laughs> 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 what was the best question asked in a song between these four? Uh, where can I find a woman <laughs> like that? What are you going to do with all that, junk, all that junk inside that trunk? <laughs> what does the fox say? Does anybody really know what time it is? <laughs> <laughs> you know the story of C? 
Do you remember that number C or letter C? And what does the fox what say? What does the fox say? No, I don't. I'm, I don't know. If we asked Mikkel this in his interview. Oh, that's right. Yeah. What did he? It was that initially these Norwegian guys were um, did a. They did. They're like a Saturday Night Live kind of thing. Yeah. And they did for Mikkel for Mikkel's 40th birthday because they're super famous in Norway. The Star Stargate that they did this mock thing of Stargate as like pretending to be Stargate doing lines in the in the studio and all this stuff. And if you know Stargate, they are not that. You know, like they're home for dinner. <laughs> like so they're funny. just not that. And um, and so in return, they recorded a song for these guys as a joke. And the joke was, what does the fox say? And somehow this blew up and ends up having a billion streams and is like a viral smash and was genuinely... Unbelievable. I think what that shows is how... Um, I think what, what Mike is asking that's, that's um, brilliant in an APG sort of way is ask a question and the listener feels an incentive to answer it. So if you as a songwriter ask a question, it, like there's no coincidence, I think, that Bieber had, you know... Uh, a bunch it, of question is it, songs? Is it too late to say I'm sorry? And what do you uh, mean? What do you mean? Where are you and, now? And where are you now? Are, those, is that it? Whatever. Mm-hmm. I think so. But like those ideas of you ask a question and the listener is going to answer it in their head. I think that's Yeah, brilliant. I think we have to say, though, that out of all those... Uh, what you're going to do with all that junk, all that junk inside that trunk oh, so might be the best one. <laughs> well, can we, then the last question was, Ross, do you regret not coming up with a fun writer name like Dr. Ross or Ross the Boss? Um, I have two things to say to that. But before, the real question is, how do you feel about, you know, you're not Joe Sparger, you're Joe London. Yeah. How does it feel? You know, when people say, <clears throat> how long did it take for you to adjust to your name? Uh, for me, not long at all. Because forever I always thought, you know, I, I, I love my name, but it, it doesn't quite ring off the tongue like, you know, other names do. And so I always had the thing like, th- nothing sounds good after Joe. It's like a hard, th- like, nothing sounds that cool after Joe. And then I was in the shower one day and it just popped in my head like, oh, Joe London has a kind of a nice ring to it. And so I asked uh, our friend Casey Robinson, shout out Casey, also uh, producer for the podcast, big deal. Um I said, yo, Casey, like, I'm thinking about, like, doing a production name. What do you think? You know? And he goes, yeah, I would much rather do a session with Joe London than Joe Sparker. And I was like, I sold. Brilliant. So, yeah. I w- my first... But Ross Golan's got a good ring to it. No, it it's doesn't. It's a power name. It's, it's, it's an odd number of syllables. It, 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 you just are used to it, I think. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think we all think our name is weird. But um, there was... Uh, um, there's a group of people... Dre and Vidal, who are uh, these producers that were two of the first major producers who invited me into the studio to work with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jared Scharf, one of the writers I work with a lot. Crushing it. Crushing it. He, he can attest to this because we were writing a lot. They used to call me Ross the Gloss. And for <laughs> a minute. What does that even mean? Because I, I, I put the gloss on the song. Ah, I don't know. That's what they said. What, so is, they what, what, what the was the gloss? I don't know. My beautiful melodies. <laughs> yeah, that's probably it. My beautiful melodies. All right, so there you go. That's that's Mike Karen. Thank you, Mike. Nice. Thank you, Mike. I mean, one of the great things about Mike's podcast, by the way, was it 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 he was the first non-songwriter. Yeah, let's talk about that. How we've we've actually made a point of having 
every like we well we used to do seasons now we're not going to do season but we used to make it a point of having like an executive on every yeah. you know season well these, why these, did we do that to me I, I think the question is what is a great song is mm-hmm. is different from a songwriter's perspective than it is from an industry professional mm-hmm. um and, and if the goal is to write great songs, you need to have the people who are the receivers of those songs and who have opinions about those songs answer questions about those songs. Short answer. That's a good answer. All right, I'm going to ask you one now. Yeah. Okay, uh, this one's from uh, Phineas. Ah, congratulations, Phineas, on winning every award Ever. that exists. Also, just put out a new song. Yeah. Did you see the video? Yeah, it's so good. Awesome video. Yeah. Awesome song. Um. Okay, the question is, hi, it's Phineas. I want to know if you've ever interviewed writers who have had, who've written songs that you've hated, and if so, how did you bullshit your way through the interview? <laughs> oh, my God. If only I hated some of the songs Phineas wrote, then I could be like, yeah, right? You know, but unfortunately, I really like his work. Um, you know, one of the things I've worked on really hard is to understand that if a song's really successful, it's successful because people want to hear it yeah not because someone marketed it really hard yes a lot of the guests we have have written songs i haven't liked but also they didn't like it and their and the, the audiences you know audiences at large didn't like it but if a song gets really big it's probably not big by accident yeah I don't think hits happen by accident. There's way, it's so, so hard. So many things have to happen. If it's, if that lyric doesn't touch you, okay, maybe it's the beat that's great, but study it. Study and figure out why is this song successful. And I think what, what makes this podcast interesting is that I have to listen to a lot of music that I wouldn't have listened to as a critic. And uh, I don't think a critic's job is, I don't think the word critique has to be negative. The job as a critic is to actually be a lover of music. And it's to actually find what's great in it, not find what's bad in it. The, the word critique, critic is terrible. We should call critics lovers of blank, lovers of music, lovers of theater. And their job should be only to go and find what's great about it and explain why you should see something not necessarily why you shouldn't see something, why you shouldn't hear it. I think a, a good critic is one that actually loves what they do. Mm-hmm. And, and I got to say, um, if, you're, if you've gotten to the point where you're on the podcast, you are probably creating something that I, I want to hear. I want to hear and I want to know how you wrote it. Yeah. And even if I don't even totally get it, then I'm going to want to ask you, why don't I get it? Um, so I think it's weird. Like, I don't, I think the older I get, the less I hate. I think I have more issues with the, you know, some of the personnel in the music business than I yeah. do with the actual compositions. You know, it's what a about weird, you? You know, it's a weird thing. I was just thinking about, the other day I, I was I randomly, me and someone were talking about the Eiffel 65 song, I'm Blue, da 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 And I was like, did that song go number one? And I, I, I looked it up on the Billboard chart and I think it went to number two. And I, I looked at the year or whatever, the month or whatever it went, number one. And there was like four songs in the top 10 that I never heard of with that song. And then, But then there was like a, I forget what it was, like a big InSync song or Backstreet Boys or something around that same time. And then I was like, how have I not, I've heard of all the InSync, all the Backstreet Boys, but then there was like a couple bands that I've never even heard of 
that were in the Billboard Top 10 at that time. Amazing. And I was just like, how, how does that happen? Do you, you know why that song works? Well, because it's catchy as shit. Do you know why it's <laughs> I catchy? I love that song. I remember being a kid uh, in, in my living room dancing to that song and just loving it. That Because it's stupid. There's no lyrics. But melodically, it follows all the rules. It comes, oh, yeah, yeah. like, the word blue lands on um, one, blue. and then it never resolves. And, and by having a pickup, then you always have to hear the one. So you go, you know, if it's like one, And all two, the parts three. are on different, different parts, aren't they? Nothing it's, ever happens the same. It's so smart. Yeah. One, two, three, I'm blue. And what's the verse? So it never goes to, it never ends here. Oh, it doesn't resolve. So it doesn't resolve and it comes before the one. And it's so that those melody rules are brilliant. And the verse is after the one. So it's like it all lines up. That is like, I think it's important that. You know, if you ask why math works. I had a blue house and a blue one. No. <laughs> that shit is so One of the crazy. great anecdotes that I've had in, in my, uh, I think in my career is the, uh, in, what's the, um, uh, um, come on Barbie, let's go Barbie. That guy has like. Wait, but what's that band? Aqua. Aqua. Aqua, that's the band. Okay. And they were the biggest band ever out of Copenhagen before Lucas Graham. And that guy has a night, like a club night in Copenhagen still to this day. Like what? somebody who's listening to this is Scandinavian. Do they play that song every night? I mean, he's like the guy. It's his night. Like It's he's, just it's about like him. His, well, I mean, I'm sure he's like a DJ. Or oh, okay, like, like he like DJs a, the night. I think so. Oh, okay, got it, got it. But I know, like, that I thought you meant it was like, like it was like a like a praise to this guy. He like he didn't even show up. It was oh just like God. the whole city so. showed up to just praise his his songs. <laughs> he's so funny. <laughs> and they just play <laughs> Barbie on repeat. Um, Charlie XCX, one of my uh, favorite collaborators I've ever worked with. She's so smart. She goes, "What's the worst?" She is so smart. I remember after she left. Uh, that day when we did the her podcast, I was like, unbelievable. I was like blown away about how just like smart she was and how nice she was. If you've watched her rise, um, it isn't some label doing it. It isn't some manager doing it. It isn't. I mean, yes, those people are helpful, but she's a really good example of why uh, an artist or an artist like that controls her career. Um, it isn't. She's not waiting for anybody to do anything for her. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the worst song you've ever written? She also had Senorita since we did her interview, which oh, was a big yeah. song. Uh, what's the worst song you've ever written? It doesn't have to be one that's released, but if you're feeling shady, then you can talk about one that's been released. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> do you have the answer to this for you? I have a really bad one that I wrote. It's it's like so bad that it might be good. It's out. No, and it didn't come out. Oh. It's called Coconuts, and the uh, lyric is, if, uh, if you're going, wait, uh, if you want a Akuna Matatas, then you better be packing bananas. <laughs> <laughs> Something like, let's go coconuts, and then there's a sick little drop. I just love that people, like, you write Shout that in Steph a session. Jones, because and, me and her made that. And for sure she recorded vocals. Oh, the whole, it's done, the song's done, if you want to cut it. I mean, Have you ever sent it out? Yeah, it was gonna be a for like a minute. It was it was like uh, in the pit pitbull world, and I think they were like trying to get Camila on it for a minute, and it just it like just didn't like didn't work. But you know, kudos to you guys for going that far yeah. away. It's actually it's kind of dope, but it's it's pretty it's pretty bad. 
Um, <laughs> it's really funny. I have one song that uh, I love all the people who are involved in writing it, so I'm sorry to all you people. Uh, but it was one of the, it was a, a Flo Rida song that didn't really work. Oh, zil- a, b- a bazillionaire? Zillion- zillionaire. Yeah. <laughs> you knew which song. What the hell, man? <laughs> you obviously didn't like it either. <laughs> uh, no, but it's one of those that's like it, it very much lyrically is on, like, is on the line. You know? it's, it's on the line, and it it arguably crossed over. I mean, I've had a couple that really didn't quite work, where it's like... But there was like an era for a lot of that stuff. And yeah, that's actually missed- when I wrote that song, which we missed it as well. Yeah. It's like right around actually the time when like Wiggle came out. Yeah. There was like an era where you could just get real wacky with the lyric. It did get, you know, it got a good license, so it ended up being sort of... It paid shot. off. It ended up being profitable, <laughs> but it was not a great song, all things considered. Uh, oh, my God. I feel like so I funny. could go down a list of these, but... Uh, yeah. Uh, what We've was the most... This isn't songs. a question, but what what is the... What's the song that came out that you were like, this is going to be a big one, and then no, oh, it didn't no one heard it? Um, I had two, like, two years ago that I thought I thought were going to be big. Um or at least bigger than they were. Uh, one of them was this Kiara song. Um, I'm like even blanking on the title of it. Uh, but it's just like, it's just a dope song. It was like, it sounded like nothing at the time and it was just really good. But, uh, yeah, just didn't came out to crickets, but it's just, sometimes it happens, man. Like, I don't know. I don't know what that is. It's just the universe not quite lining up or the wrong song. I mean, it happens most of the time. It does. It's it does. really hard for a song to be actually successful. And it really does make me question, like, what, what is that thing that makes something go? I, I just don't. Yeah. It's really weird, you know? Yeah. There's a couple songs out now that I feel like I'm curious to see that I really love. I'm not going to name them, but that I really love that don't seem to be connecting Mm-hmm. That I didn't even write, and I'm just curious, like how, like why, why aren't they going? Because they're so good. Sometimes they go. Uh, there was a song that uh, a writer of mine wrote that was just massively successful on streaming, um, hundreds of millions at this point on streaming, and they just didn't go to radio with it. Yeah. And I'm all, I always think that's really interesting. It's like I've that's that annoying. Are, you know, that's annoying because you're just watching. You're just assuming that 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 those things translate. And as a writer, you're you like, know. take that shit to radio, yo. For real, let me make some money. Okay, your turn. Uh, okay, um, let me think here. We're getting we're getting pretty close here. A couple more questions. Yeah. I'm gonna go with uh, Sarah Hudson. We just nice. did hers not too long ago. Yeah, I actually so, don't even know if it's been released yet. It hasn't so been it's released exciting, yet. Yeah. So this is a good preview. Um, just Legend. such a lovely human. Yeah, always feel good after talking to her. Um, hey, Ross and Joe, it's your favorite guest, Sarah Hudson. Mm. My question for you guys is: What is something you learned about yourselves after a hundred episodes of Van the Writer is? You wouldn't know it from this particular podcast, but I feel like I've learned more how to listen. Yeah, we're we're kind of just rambling this one, but uh, dude, from the first episode to even like the thirtieth, I feel like you got so much better at interviewing people because it's kind of a skill. It's like something. It's it's a weird thing, man. To be everyone thinks they're gonna do a podcast about yo. I'm gonna just do a podcast with my friends, and they're and they're like we're just gonna have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And very quickly, we did twelve the first twelve before we released. 
the first one. So we recorded right, 12 yeah. in the can. And the first one that got released, I remember I called you and I said, is there any way to get my ums and likes? <laughs> and like when someone else is talking, you say, uh, you naturally say, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And all of that is ancillary extra crap. And even in real life, you don't need to, you can just let the other person talk. And over, it, over time, I've learned that my job is just to get out of the way and to try to shape the conversation, but let them go. And the more you do that in real life, I've talked to my family about doing this. I couldn't recommend it all of you and none of you will do this. But I dare you to record a conversation of yours for an hour. Try to do that once a week and you will change the, your behavior. But do it once and you will very quickly recognize your tendencies in a conversation. Yeah, just the way you communicate in general, right? Yeah, you just don't, fo- you know, you have to. And also, it's exhausting to do an interview because you, you, the further you get into it, the more you focus on what they're saying and not on what you're going to say next. Yeah. And, and you, I have all these notes in front of me. I've written all this, you know, the intro and, you know, our teams and Kelly Fox and, you know, Ashley, which we'll get to later. Like, those people, like, set up a lot of information for me to, to build off of, but... Uh, it's so important to just listen. And if I, when, I, when I remember to bring that in real life, I'm a better friend. Mm-hmm. I'm a better husband. I'm a, I'm a better son and a better brother when I actually use what I've learned from being a podcast host, which is you're better off just not talking. What have you learned from listening to the podcast be done a hundred times you know, and and probably wanting to say stuff. I mean, honestly, I've learned a lot about the same thing we were just talking about, but just from watching you do it, because, you know, editing them, you know, going through and having to cut out all the, no, like, the silence and all that stuff, um, and all the the uhs and ahs, I mean, even though I, I probably am still doing all that stuff, you, you just learn a lot from listening to people have a conversation and then editing the conversation, um... But, uh, yeah, that stuff and, of course, like all the, all the musical knowledge that people have dropped. And, and I've also learned that, like, every songwriter and, and uh, producer, that we're all kind of crazy <laughs> in a certain, yeah. to a certain extent. We sell air for a living. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's it, a wacky it's job, like, man. It's a weird job. All right, let's keep going. From Evan Bogart, one of our first guests, um, if you start a song from scratch in a room, do you always feel like it should be even splits? No matter what anyone contributed or didn't contribute that day. If not, how do you decide who gets what piece of the song? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's always different. Um, I feel like generally, if you're working with people that you work with a lot, you know, I generally do even splits. Because some days you bring more to the table, some days other people bring more to the table, and generally it kind of evens out, I feel like. But it's always different. Yeah, I think it's a slippery slope. If, 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 you know, look, if, if somebody's in the room and they did nothing, nothing, yeah. and all the other writers agree, then I think you can probably have uh, an argument somewhere in there. But yeah. short of that scenario, 
I don't know how you don't do equal splits with everyone in the room. Yeah, because it gets, it gets, like you said, it's a slippery slope. It gets a little weird. If somebody, you know, it's like if somebody writes an entire lyric, but the title of the song sucks and somebody comes in with some genius title, it's like that one contribution is going to be worth more than the rest of the entire totally. song. So totally. it's like just because it's even real estate doesn't mean that it's worth more. Yeah, I mean, if someone comes in with a song fully written and you right. add like three lyrics, then it's like, okay, right. probably should make that do you take publishing if you produce a song that was that's previously written uh i've never i've never done that probably not unless unless the track informs like a lot of the identity like if there's like a huge drop or a huge melody then maybe i would like ask a little for a little something but generally no i think we got like three or more four more maybe so okay all right let me let's see here uh, okay, cool. Let's do one from. Let's do one from Benny. Hey, our very OG first number one. Number one. We got to get Benny for an update. Yeah, I would love that. And I, do you think Benny's going to become like a movie star after being uh, in the uh, in Dave? In Dave. I mean, that guy can do whatever he wants. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Ross, since The Wrong Man took off, have you put more of your efforts into theatrical world? We kind of did this one a little bit, but theatrical world instead of more traditional songwriting. Well, quarantine really, you know, kind of solidified that because the theater world is... Is Is it still shut down? Oh, yeah. I mean, where are you going to put people? Like, you can't put them in a a 200-year-old theater and you can't have a bunch of cast backstage... Um, Have they done any sort? I know, like the um, Hamilton did, like a live thing, didn't they? I don't. Are they not, recorded not, it? Yeah, yeah, but that was recorded years ago. Uh, you know, that was recorded when that wasn't just because of COVID. They already no, no, no they, they were already going to do that. Done. Okay, um, they are starting. Theaters are opening to doing shooting, you know, filmed versions. But got it. That's a whole other conversation. I am currently writing, you know, four or five songs a week uh, in sessions and i'm full songwriting mode but um i wake up at 5 30 every day so those first two hours i sometimes write short stories i sometimes write for musical theater um but my efforts right now are back into like let me get hits but um that said i have you know probably two or three meetings that are either the wrong man related because we're trying to move it to uh a bigger stage when those do open and uh you know i'm gonna write more shows i'm i i love that world and i love that they tell stories that are different and here's there's so many things i learned from theater that work in pop like what well one thing is how much point of view matters you know we're so used to being like i'm singing to you you're singing to me and I'm just a guy in a place or you're, I'm just a woman in this place and I'm going to sing to the opposite person. But you rarely sing it to a friend. Maybe you do. You don't really sing it to groups in mass, but you certainly don't sing it to the butcher. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you don't sing it to, like, the, you don't sing it to the sheriff. <laughs> and you don't have the perspective of, like, you don't, you're so trapped in pop and writing songs that are you're writing the song to the person on the other side of the radio and the other side of the streaming service. You're not really writing songs. Um, 
to all of the people in this uh, Russian town and, and in, in the, you know, late 19th century. And you're not writing to all of the people in, you know, in, you know, who are in the middle of a revolutionary war in the 1800s or, you know, late 1700s and, you know, late 18th century. You're not writing, you know, that's what makes theater fun is that you're writing often relevant music, but your point of view can really stretch your mind in a way that you just can't in pop. So if I got mm. rid of theater completely, I think I'd be really sad. But Yeah, because it probably allows you to, to go to that place. Yeah, but also it's like I want to make sure that I write songs that I can sing, you know, um, and, and that it's not all storytelling. And mm-hmm. so, so it's a little bit of both. And uh, I like the question, but currently I'm, I'm uh, in traditional songwriting world because there is no theater world. <laughs> but when, when do you think when it's coming really, back? Uh, I think realistically uh, late next summer, and they'll probably start with the shows that are too big to fail, like uh, you know, Phantom of the Opera. Sure, yeah, yeah. One's and, um, I want to ask another one. Uh-huh. This one's from Andy Grammer. Oh, cool. Uh, <laughs> if you had to pick one point of unity or similarity or through line between the most successful songwriters you've spoken oh, yeah. to, what would that be? Um, I think that, I mean, we've kind of talked about it on a creative sense, and we've talked about it as far as insecurity goes. But as far as unity, I think we all realize that we are um, the importance of what we do as far as the music industry doesn't work without us songwriters. Um, I think what... And, and that's the, really the most important part of the unifying if we're going to really make change is that we recognize that we do matter and that we need to stand together. And, you know, what Emily brought up about artists coming in and saying we want publishing or, you know, what David Israel brought up about, like, there is no difference between really publishers and songwriters. We're all one. And if we can start recognizing that, then maybe we can get things like healthcare. And maybe we can get, you know, I think Bonnie's question goes into this. Yep, so we'll, we'll definitely. get into that. But um, what do you Well, here, I'll, I'll just run right into that. Okay, cool. Um, going into Bonnie's question is, Ross, you are an advocate for songwriters' rights. And you are honestly one of the only ones I've, I see talking about it. What is the best way to raise awareness and take action to get songwriters paid fairly for streaming and our intellectual property? And should I just go into the other one too? It's kind of a long question. Um, Okay. Uh, And also part B is if we can't unionize, what can we do? Uh, Since there are so many hungry up-and-comers who are happy to waive their rights for a chance to jump into the rat race, we can't exactly strike and we don't really want to because our job's awesome. Um, But we got to eat, right? So in a hashtag, what can we do? Hashtag, what can we do? (laughs) Bonnie's uh, interview is also one of my favorites. That's from the first season, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me say this. Okay, so all of you who are listening to this, who are still listening to this episode, you need to join Sona, and you need to join NSAI. You can't talk about wanting to unionize and wanting to stand up for each other if you're not going to join the trade organizations that currently exist that fight for your on your behalf. 
for almost no amount of money, you ha- you can join these two trade organizations. You can even get the closest thing we have to like ENO insurance through NSAI. You have you know a collective voice that Sona helped push that created essentially the Music Modernization Act. You know, there's n- you can join organizations that exist. And the more relevant writers we have joined SONA and NSAI, the stronger our voices are. NMPA exists because all of these these companies have joined force to have their voice heard. Songwriters have that too, and yet most of you are probably not members of these organizations. So join NSAI... Uh, Nashville Songwriters Association, or and or joined Sona, which is Songs of North America, Songwriters so. Songwriters of North, North America. America. Um, those two organizations are essential in our current fight, and will be on the forefront when we get to a point where we can unionize, where we can get health care where we can have a collective voice to make sure people aren't taking our publishing and making sure that we can, you know, have some equity when we're fighting streaming services and whatnot. We're going to need you guys to join those organizations. Those will very much evolve into what we think of as a union. Love that question, Bob. You win points. All right, so I think this is our last one. Yeah, I saved this one for last. Oh, that's sweet. Okay. Our very good friend... Mr. Ricky Reed, been on the podcast a handful of times. Actually, guest hosted the podcast too. Yeah, I mean he's uh, he's our only time that we've had three. Yeah, we've maybe had, four. Yeah, I mean, have we like, done four then? I don't uh, know, but maybe three. Uh, uh, I also want to gentleman. I want him to be the guinea pig once uh, COVID's over to doing. Um, we've talked about this a few times, but doing some like producer. Uh, leaning content on the on the and the writer is like studio tour or something because ricky's got a dope studio yeah so we'll see if he's down to be the guinea pig for that um i haven't talked to him in an hour but he did say <laughs> um he said say something nice about each other yes which is a great end uh, uh i'll let you go first so that way i can be the the guy who ends this <laughs> yes uh well i would i would hang on let me let's wait for the plane to pass where do you think it's going I'm going to say probably Phoenix. Mm, yeah, classic spot. Yeah, what time is it? It's 3.15, so probably Phoenix. It's usually the... Uh, <laughs> is that right? Please say it's Michelle's right. dad kind of like really memorized it? a bit oh, of the... Uh, so funny. At, every day at 7.15, the FedEx plane flies, flies over. It's funny. Uh, I'm just going to say that, um, one, I love you, and two, uh, doing this podcast has been such... Um, a fun and just like break from the normal songwriting stuff and just like a happy place to be. Um, and a lot of it is because I get to do it with you. And uh, so thank you for one, allowing me to jump into this idea that you had early on. And, uh, and two, I just, uh, I, you know, I love you and I'm, well, I love you too. Um, yeah, I mean, I I got to interview you, which is pretty cool that you've been a guest on this. Um, I know we need to have you be a guest soon. You know, I don't. I I think I realized that 
if you've listened to 100 episodes of this, you have a pretty good idea who I am at this point. And it feels just weird to do an interview. Maybe yeah. when, maybe as our final episode, if we ever get to a final episode or yeah. something. But, um, yeah, it's really vulnerable to do these. More than people, I think, realize. It's vulnerable for our guests. It's vulnerable mm-hmm. for me. And... I can't think of still like right now I couldn't think of anybody else who would have the respect for our guests the way you do and the attentiveness that you have for this podcast and for those people to make sure that their story is so well represented every week. It is way more complicated to be you in this than people (laughs) might know um, because it, it takes somebody who's actually listening to that episode probably more than once because you're there in the moment and then you're there afterwards making sure that you know our job is to facilitate their story and now that we've lost friends like Busby and Allie Willis and stuff you start you start recognizing the importance of what in a way what we're doing and what you're doing in in that storytelling so I, I couldn't do this with anybody else. So, thank well, you. amen to that. Cheers, brother. Cheers. Um, cheers to that. Yeah. Now, to, to close out our hundredth episode, I just want to say thank you to a lot of people, real quick. Yeah, a, a lot of people don't realize, but there's a there's a pretty big team um, behind us who are helping with a lot of stuff. Yeah. So our producers. Casey Robison, uh, David Silberstein, you know, from uh, Big Deal and uh, from Mega House. The bo- both of those guys are close to us personally, and, mm-hmm. you know, they really enabled a lot of this. This doesn't, this show 100% doesn't happen without Ashley Alexander, oh, who, yeah, who many of the guests have spoken to or their managers have spoken to a million times. Um, and it certainly doesn't happen without Kelly Fox who works with me and, and Unknown Music Publishing, who uh, is the one who comes up with all the notes for me to read every every week. Um, Meg Goggins, who is we we will be saying goodbye to in yes. October. She's been there. She's been a huge part For of- all of our social media stuff. Uh, Zach Weinstein, who is such a smart you know, producer of the show. He's he's one of the few that actually knows what's happening. Yeah, yeah he, he, he knows how all the wheels um, turn. You know, uh, Michael White, who is the guy who does all the artwork. I don't think we realize how, how important uh, the, the illustrations were, but it really helped captivate things. And mm-hmm. uh, Michael does an incredible, incredible job with that. Our marketing consultant... Dodge Williams, you know, special thanks. Mark Tyndall, a legend. Miles Bergsma, Fame House. Amber Packer, and now Hypnosis Songs Group. Um, you know, we have Kenny McPherson, and and you know, all, all of them. Thank you so much. But most importantly, this does not exist. The future of the music business does not exist without our listenership. Without our fans, without our, you know, without them, you know, clearly the guests are, this doesn't exist without the guests. Yep. Who, 
who are so willing to donate their time. Um, and but but really the and listeners who are incredible. We're going to be interviewing. Pretty soon we're going to be interviewing some of the listeners we've had. Uh, maybe you know? the best thing of you know Phineas and whatnot. Phineas, as we said in his, he was the he's our first guest that we had that listened to the podcast before he was well known. Yeah, that's And wild. now he's won producer of the year for the Grammys. He's, he's won, won everything won for iHeart. He's won everything. <laughs> um, so I think it's just a good. What an amazing guest to have as our yeah. first guest, who is who is really a listener of the podcast first. But uh, so many of you are going to be very successful, and even if you're not successful in songwriting, you'll be successful people, and because you respect even an art form that that is so uh, not tangible. And um, I just I'm I'm so happy to be a part of this hundredth yeah. episode and and excited to release our hundred and first. Cheers to that! Cheers to Thanks that! Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you. We'll see you guys in the next hundred. <laughs> Should we change the song? Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And The Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silberstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golan. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm. 